Many people every day suffer from depression. Uh, it's a serious health problem in our country. 7% of people this year will be diagnosed with some form of depression. And there are many, many more who are never diagnosed, but who suffer from depression nonetheless. Uh, depression is continual feelings of severe despondency. So we normally think of it as being really, really sad uh, all the time. It's, it's really a loss of courage and kind of a continual state of dejection and a loss of courage. And so it's related to discouragement, but it's not the same thing because discouragement is when we have little to no courage. It's when we're sad for a, a shorter period of time. And even though there are thousands, in fact, millions of people who have depression, I would venture to guess that every single person has discouragement. Um, and last week I said there's no such thing as an easy life. And, of course, there are some lives, some people's lives, who are easier than others in, in some ways, but more difficult or harder in another. And you see that in the many famous and rich people who end up being miserable, and sometimes they end up being broke too. But uh, there's no such thing as an easy life. Everybody struggles in some way. And so whether you've battled or are battling depression or if you're in the, a season of discouragement, um, I just want you to know that you're not alone. And I want to spend some time thinking uh, together what causes discouragement in your life or what has been a cause lately of discouragement. Maybe you haven't measured up to what you expect from yourself or what others are expecting. Maybe you've been in a state of uncertainty in your life and you'd really like to have certainty. Um, sometimes discouragement comes from doing or saying something that you know you shouldn't have done or said. Other times we get discouraged because we should have done or said something and we didn't. Um, this week I was overwhelmed with all that I felt that I had to do, all that I couldn't do, and it became discouraging. Um, sometimes circumstances are just less than desirable and that just becomes hard for us to deal with. But most likely in a group even this small, even this size, someone's probably thinking, I just get discouraged and sometimes I don't know what it is. And that's true too. Sometimes we don't always know the cause of discouragement. But we do all get discouraged at different points. And that's a form of suffering. I said last week, suffering can look a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different degrees of severity of suffering. But the devil wants us to live discouraged. He can't take you out of the game, but he can convince you to go bench yourself. For you to take yourself out of the game and go sit on the bench. And God never tells us that we should expect an easy life but he does use everything to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. And so last week when we looked at the suffering now, glory later life, we can know that God uses the suffering now to produce the glory later. And we're going to see that in our passage again today. And uh, if you think dis discouragement isn't quite your normal picture of suffering, uh, I'd encourage you to read the first four chapters of 2 Corinthians again. Paul speaks really generally about suffering. He doesn't go into specifics like it's this and it's this. 
until later, and then he has a totally different point when he talks about his suffering later. And so we shouldn't expect this Christian life to be easy. We should expect it to be hard. And just because something's bad or hard doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that it's hard. So uh, as I read this passage today, I'd like for you to hear it in light of discouragement and encouragement um, because Paul is telling us we can and we should have courage in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of things that entice you and tempt you to be discouraged and to feel discouraged. We can, in Christ, have courage. So the passage today is uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 through chapter 5, verse 10. And if you want to open along in your Bible app or in your uh, Bible in front of you, uh, you're welcome to. The passage will be on the screen now, but it won't all be there later. So uh, you can open there so you can follow along now and later. Uh, here's, here's what Paul writes, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan, and we're burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who's fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always of good courage and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord for we live by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body, and we'd prefer to be at home with the Lord, but we make it our aim to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so, if you've been walking with God for any significant amount of time, if you've been on this journey of having your character formed into the character of Christ, you've run into this this problem. I call it the dilemma of discouragement. And it here's what it is. It's it starts when you feel discouraged. Maybe you don't even know the reason. Maybe it's your circumstances. But no matter what, if you feel discouraged, you're downcast, you're sad. If you're like the psalmist, you might even feel far from God. And you feel that way, and then you realize, I really can't change the way that I feel. It, I just can't change it. Like, if I, if I try to make myself happy when I'm sad, I, I just can't. I just can't. It's not like a switch you flip. I feel the way that I feel. And then you deduce, so therefore, if I say or do something that takes courage, if I say or do something that takes something that I don't have, then I'm not genuine. I'm not sincere because I'm acting in a way that I don't truly feel. 
And so if I, if I ignore this discouragement, I'll be denying reality. So the, the final conclusion in the dilemma of discouragement is, I feel discouraged, there's nothing I can do about it, so therefore, I have no choice but to act the way that I feel. And many times this process and this conclusion is never verbalized, but it's definitely carried out. I've seen it in many lives, but especially my own. We see this in our own lives most clearly. And the assumption behind this whole dilemma is that something has to change in the way that I feel before something can change in the way that I think and in the way that I act. And until something changes, I'm stuck here. I'm the victim. And that's a wrong assumption. In fact, it's more than wrong. It's really, really dangerous. Because if we are training ourselves to respond in that manner, then we're headed towards a continual state of discouragement. We're headed towards depression. So how should we deal with discouragement? I'll just give three words to answer that question. I'll I'll give three words. We'll look at each of them in the passage then combine them into one answer at the end. So how should we deal with discouragement? We have to deal with discouragement with resiliency. We have to be tough when it comes to discouragement. We can't let our feelings bully us around. And we see this in verse 16. Paul is making a statement in verse 16 when he says, therefore we don't lose heart. In fact, he's making that statement for the second time in the last 16 verses. He started chapter four by saying, Therefore, since we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. And so now, anytime you come across the word therefore, you have to look back and see what it's there for. And uh, looking back on last week, when we talked about the suffering now, glory later life, he laid, Paul laid out what we should expect as Christ followers who are his agents of change in the world. We should expect that we don't have what it takes, but we do have who it takes It's not us, it's Christ. We should expect life to be hard, but we should also expect life to be more than just hard. There is a resurrection. There is ultimate hope at the end. And we're not alone. We're in this together. We should expect community, and we should expect to speak, and we should expect God's grace through our hardship and through our lives, God's grace to multiply to more and more people, and that'll cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. That's what Paul had just said. So therefore, because of all that, and especially because ultimately God's grace is going to spread, therefore we don't lose heart. So Paul wouldn't be repeating himself if there wasn't a great temptation in the Christ follower's experience to lose heart. He wouldn't, there'd be no need to repeat himself. But because our temptation is to lose heart, because the devil wants to take us and encourage us to sit on the bench and, and, and make us choose, oh, I'm going to go take myself out and sit on the bench, there is a temptation to lose heart. So we have to be resilient. We have to see it coming. And in our faith, which is what we believe, not what we see, in our faith we have resiliency because we can believe that these difficulties, the things that cause discouragement, they're bringing about something better. They're producing an eternal glory. They're bringing about an eternal glory that far outweighs what we're going through now. So Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what's seen. You ever tried to fix your eyes on something that's not seen? 
course, it's, 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 a, it's a figure of speech. It's not something that you really do. You, you focus not on what you're feeling. You focus on what you believe. We, we choose to think differently. We don't get stuck in our own feelings. We don't get stuck in our own problems. We're not the victim. We're, we're not waiting for a change. We look forward to what's yet to come. So think about your discouragement now and, and just be honest with God and with yourself. Are you focusing primarily on that difficulty or are you fixing your eyes on what's not yet seen? How God might use that both for your good and for the good of those around you, for his glory. It's easy to focus on what bothers us right now. But we can, because Christ has risen, we can actually focus on what's coming. And in order to do that, your faith has to be resilient. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying this is possible. So let's look at the second answer to the question. How should we deal with discouragement? The second answer is hope. And hope isn't wishful thinking. Hope is actually a sure promise of the future. Romans 8, Paul says, hope that is seen, hope that we ha- that's already been fulfilled. It's no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So we have to be looking towards what's ahead, looking towards what we don't yet have. And in this passage, in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is pointing us to the hope of heaven. He's saying, if our bodies, this earthly tent is what he calls our bodies, if these are destroyed, we have a new body, a better body, a permanent and perfect body waiting for us in heaven. It's an eternal house. But this is, this is the way that Paul describes living in hope. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with that perfect body, our heavenly dwelling. Because when that happens, there's going to be no more shame, no more negative exposure. But while we're here, we hope and we groan and we're burdened. So again, he's using language like this to communicate it's difficult to live in hope but it's possible. And that's what faithfulness looks like in this life. We saw in chapter four, he said that we're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. I don't know about you, but that's not something that I naturally gravitate towards. Hardship, things that aren't comfortable for me. Things that I wouldn't naturally do on my own. But Paul is describing it and saying, ultimately, all of this, all of our hardship, it's gonna be swallowed up by life. And the Corinthians would have, I think they would have perked up when they heard those words swallowed up by life because one, there were Jews in that congregation and the Jews would have known that death is the great swallower of the Old Testament. People got swallowed up by death. But Paul has been quoting Isaiah 25 both in 1 Corinthians and now in 2 Corinthians when he says that death has now been swallowed up. The great swallower has been swallowed. It's like when you see the picture of the fish, little fish gets eaten by a bigger fish, gets eaten by a bigger fish. Well, this is the biggest fish. Life is swallowing up death. And he says that in 1 Corinthians 15, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable. So again, when we get our new bodies, the mortal with immortality, then 
The saying that is written, the prophecy of Isaiah 25 will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So he continues to build on what he said in the last section. Our light and momentary affliction is bringing about an eternal weight of glory. So now we suffer and we groan and we hope, but we're sure of what's coming. So think about your discouragement or what often causes discouragement in your life and just think, be honest with yourself and with God. What is your hope in the midst of that? Is your hope that problem going away? Or is your hope in Christ and in being faithful to him no matter how much groaning and longing it takes? And maybe you're afraid of being disappointed. When you pin your hope on something, you're exposing yourself. When you're longing for something, you're opening yourself up to be hurt. Maybe you're afraid of being disappointed. I want you to know that God has said that his hope will not disappoint us because he's poured his love out into our hearts in Romans 5. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's possible to live an encouraged life, even in the midst of circumstances that are discouraging, that make you feel discouraged. So let's look at the last answer. How should we deal with discouragement? We got to deal with it now, not later. We can't put it off to when our situation changes or when I feel better. We have to deal with it now. Paul writes that God has fashioned us for this very purpose of being swallowed up by life, of experiencing life more and more fully, eternal life. Not just living forever, but living a full life. So he's given us the spirit so that we can experience it right now in the middle of our suffering now. And we can know that we have it fully later because the spirit reminds us of the truth of God that we have now. He says in verse six, therefore, because we have it in part now, we're always of good courage. And we know that as long as we're here, we're away from God, but we live by faith. And so the faith that we have in God encourages us. Our encouragement doesn't come from our feelings, it doesn't come from our situation, but it comes from our faith. So we're always of good courage, he says in verse eight. Even though what we prefer, which is to be in heaven and to not suffer, to not long and groan and be burdened, even though that's not where we are right now, we're still encouraged. Why? He answers why in verse 9. Because our goal isn't an easy life. Our goal is to please him. Whether we are here or in heaven. And we live now because we, we live faithfully now because we know that we're going to be judged for what we do now. So the aim, we don't aim to please God out of fear of rejection. We actually know exactly what our status is going to be because Christ has paid for all of our sin. He's paid the penalty for us. And so we deal with discouragement by exercising resilient hope now. And that's exactly what God gave us in Christ. Everything, every, every legitimate reason we have to be discouraged has been dealt with in Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so encouragement is always available to us. Now, don't, don't 
have the wrong picture in your head. When I say encouragement's always available, doesn't mean you'll always feel good, doesn't mean it'll be easy, but it does mean you don't have to be discouraged. You can feel discouraged, but you can choose to believe that he is king and that he really has won the victory. He really is working all things for the good of those who love him. So to illustrate, uh, imagine a ship in the middle of a storm. The sailors feel anxious, they're disheartened, this wasn't part of the plan on the voyage, uh, and they're not sure whether or not they're going to see their families again, whether or not they're going to make it out of this uh, storm alive. But if they drop the anchor, and if they trust that anchor, they can know, I'm safe. If that anchor has not failed them in the past, they can know, we don't feel safe, but we are safe. And as the storm keeps raging, they have to keep choosing what's true. And they have to exercise resilient hope right now. And Hebrews 6 says that Christ is our anchor. He's the anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And when we flee to take hold of that hope, we can be greatly encouraged. Hebrews is another book that was written to a group of believers that had every reason to be discouraged because their situation was discouraging. But the the overall theme of the letter is be encouraged. Keep meeting together. Be encouraged. Stay faithful. And if you're here today and you've never made Christ your anchor, you've never decided to quit pleasing yourself and make it your life's ambition to please him, you can just tell him that today. Say, I'm sorry. I want to quit pleasing myself. I want to learn to please you. And thank you for forgiving me. Help me to, to follow your leadership. So tell that to him. Tell that to someone else too. Because we need community in order to live well. So again, think about your discouragement or what causes discouragement in your life. And what would it look like for you to trust Christ in the middle of the storm? Not after the storm is gone, but right there in the middle. The application for us today is that because Christ is our anchor, you can feel discouraged, you can feel sad, and you can still have hope. They're not in opposition to each other. You can be tempted to be discouraged. You can still choose to have courage. You can, like Paul writes, always be of good courage when you trust God and not yourself. And here's what I mean by trust. Here's what I believe God means by trust is you can tell God, God, this is how I'm feeling. And you can not hold back and tell him exactly how you're feeling and he can handle it. And then after you're done venting all of your feelings, you can say, but this is what I know to be true. God, because you've said this, this is truth. And that is a whole lot different than the dilemma of discouragement where this is how I feel and that's all I can really know. And until something changes, this is where I'm destined to stay. No, it's, This is what I'm feeling, but there's more to life than just me. I am not the objective truth. Objective truth comes from God. And so this is what I'm feeling, but God, you are true. And I turn to you and I trust what you've said more than what I'm feeling. So here's here's an example of biblical trust. Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. Jeremiah writes, I remember my affliction And my wandering, 
the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. God, this is what I'm feeling, and I feel it fully. Verse 21, he says, Yet this I call the mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love were not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, so you got to do some self-talk. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. It's not just self-talk coming from you. It's self-talk coming from God. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. So in this passage, we see God's prescription for difficulty and discouragement. Remember your affliction. It's okay to feel sad, but call to truth. But call to mind the truth about God. And what kind of an impact do you think living that way, if you learn, and I'm not saying perfection, but moving that direction with your life, what kind of an impact would that make on your family, your friendships, your workplace? And eventually, it'll spread out to our society. In a world that so desperately needs hope, We have good news, both to tell them and to show them. But you know where it starts. It starts right here, in your inner man being renewed day by day. Discouragement calls for resilient hope now. So let's pray together. Lord, so many times... uh, I'm guilty of pursuing an easy life, thinking that that's the good life. And there's no such thing as an easy life. If we're going to live for something, it means we're going to die for something. So, right now we commit all of our life, our suffering and our comfort, to be all about you and for you. Go ahead and use this time to Exercise biblical trust. Talk to God about how you feel in the midst of your current storm. And then call to mind his truth and put your hope in him.